Well, good morning. It is good to have you here. And this morning, we uh, have a guest speaker. We're welcoming, really, a personal friend of mine, but also a friend to East Bay Calvary Church, uh, President of Finish Line Ministries, uh, Sean Patrick. He oversees, not only is he traveling the country and doing different speaking opportunities, but he is also overseeing an enormous church planning work in Southeast Africa. In fact, I've had the opportunity to travel with him on two different occasions, one for a pastor's training conference and then rural outreach, and also another time for a medical mission trip that about a dozen people from our church had the opportunity to be a part of, and we did that a few years ago, and uh, we're excited that he's here today to share with us. And one of the things we're highlighting this morning is the orphan ministry that this work does. It's called Providing Hope um, Ministry that seeks to uh, reach out to orphans, and you're going to hear a little bit about that soon, but there is uh, a setup in our lobby at the Hub that you'll be able to, to look at some of the potential orphans that you could sponsor. And my family already picked out one. We picked out a little girl by the name of Angel. So we can say that we are sponsoring an angel. How about that? How many people can actually say that? I don't know. But uh, we're excited to have Sean here. He's going to tell us a little bit about that ministry and share from the Word this morning. Well, thank you, uh, East Bay Calvary Church, for your love and support of Finish Line Ministries International. I'm blessed to uh, serve hundreds of people over there in Malawi and Mozambique and Zimbabwe as the president of this uh, wonderful organization, and it's truly a privilege to be here with all of you and, uh, and to say hello and, and give you a little bit uh, of an update of what God's doing, as well as uh, share with you some thoughts from Scripture this morning. So, uh, the first thing I want to do, however, is um, uh, I want to thank the, the worship band, uh, Pastor Jonathan. Uh, that's just a wonderful job, and the, the men and women who are up here with you, give them a round of applause leading us this morning. Uh, thank you, thank you. You know, in Malawi, in Mozambique, they uh, do worship a little bit differently than we do here in the United States. It's a much more interactive process. Uh, the voices are booming and loud. Uh, the drum beating is booming and loud, and the, the worship leading is uh, boisterous and filled with movement. And I have to tell you that this morning, uh, our good brother, uh, Pastor Jonathan, who I've not yet shaken his hand, I've just, so I'm going to pick on you a little bit, all right? This is how we're going to start our relationship. Um, uh, but man, that was great. There was a little bit of movement to what he had. And I have to tell you, I admire that because you, there is no one in this room uh, with two bigger left feet than I than me right here. So uh, wonderful. Thank you for leading us with enthusiasm and excitement. Excuse me this morning. Uh, I love that, and it makes me feel a little bit more at home. I do most of my preaching uh, in, on the other side of the world, and so I feel a little bit more at home. And then I also I'm a, a very observant. Uh, like observation is just one of my favorite things. And uh, I saw my good brother Pete uh, Lathrop back there in the back, and I uh, haven't seen him in a number of years, and uh, that's more my fault than his. It's just uh, I don't get up here as often as I'd like, and, and I'm going to share this with you. Uh, in 2011, uh, Pete, Pastor Dallas, and I were with another eight to ten people uh, from this church in the area that, that were doctors and nurses, and we did a, a medical missions trip together. 
And so I remember the first night that we were assembled there in Malawi, and I was kind of being reintroduced to everybody over uh, there the first night. We were kind of making plans for the next morning. And here was Dr. Such-and-so and Nurse So-and-so and Dr. Such-and-so and, and, uh, and, and Pharmacist So-and-so. And, and then there was um, Pastor Dallas, not Dr. Dallas, not Nurse Dallas, not Pharmacist Dallas. And then there was Pete, and there was Pete, and then there was Sean. And the three of us kind of looked at each other and thought, I'm not really sure what we're going to bring to the table uh, this week. But uh, uh, with that uncertainty, God answered really some amazing prayer. Uh, Pastor Dallas and Pete, one of my great memories is being able to preach Christ with you guys to all these hundreds of people who were waiting in, in line to, to be treated by your doctors and your nurses. And so that just came to my mind, brother, as I had a chance to hug you today and say hello. Uh, God has done a great work in Finish Line Ministries over the years. And part of that thread is connected very specifically to the men and women and the prayer support and the financial support that you give as a church corporately uh, to our ministry. Uh, last year alone, uh, over 7,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. We now have 310 churches operating in Malawi, Mozambique, and Zimbabwe. And would you know this morning, uh, just six hours ago, uh, they had church in, in those three countries, and more than 95,000 people gathered in those churches to worship Jesus Christ. And that's a big part of uh, what you all are supporting as a local congregation of believers here in uh, Traverse City, Michigan. So thank you, thank you, thank you. People come to Christ because of your prayer and financial support. And uh, in the name of Jesus, uh, marches on through those remote villages there. So thank you so much. One more piece of commercial, and then I'm going to get to it, okay? Uh, this is the challenge that I face uh, in the job that I have. Uh, you've got you've to do this kind of stuff too. But um, I tell you, there's nothing that pulls my heartstrings more when I'm in Malawi than the little children who are part of our orphan and day school ministry. Uh, it's because they're there because it's the reason they pull my heartstrings is because many of them are orphans. Uh, all of them are vulnerable and disadvantaged. And uh, if you're an orphan, that means you don't have mom or dad. That definition holds true over there as the same as it does here. And we have dozens and dozens and dozens of children over there that don't have mom and dad. And the people of one of our churches there care for them and uh, bring them into their home. And it's an amazing thing. Uh, the other group of children in that uh, setup, in that system there, are what the government classifies as vulnerable, and that means they might have one parent, or they don't have any parent, but they're able to live with grandma or grandpa, or auntie so-and-so, or uncle so-and-so, so they have family somewhere. And uh, all of those children combined equal almost 460 children who are a part of our orphan and day school ministry. And and to be candid with you, we had a hard time connecting people in the United States with that ministry and how they could play a part in that ministry. And as you might imagine, that is a, that is a, a challenging ministry to kind of wrap your arms around financially and prayerfully and just in areas of helps. And so in 2013, we started a program where men and women could connect to a specific child and pray for them. They could write letters to them. They could, goodness gracious, you want to come to Malawi and and visit them with me. Uh, we've got trips that we make every year. 
uh, to go over and, and visit our children. We've taken over 100 of our sponsors over to Malawi on different missions trips to see the children that they, uh, that they support. So Pastor Dallas asked me a couple months ago if I'd be willing to come and make this a big emphasis uh, of the morning. And if you know me at all, I, this is, I don't like talking dollars and cents, uh, but I'll do it for these little guys and girls. Uh, $25 allows you to sponsor one of these children. That connects you to their life. Uh, that allows you to write to them, pray for them. Uh, we commun- you can communicate with them if you like. Helps meets their physical, educational, and uh, spiritual uh, needs. Uh, everything we do, we talked about it in the first hour in, uh, in uh, Malawi, Mozambique, and Zimbabwe, is connected to uh, sharing Jesus Christ with these little children. Our little tagline, our purpose with our Orphan and Day School ministry is simply this, to provide care, education, and the opportunity for little ones to know and love Jesus Christ at an early age. So if you want to participate with us in that, I'll be at the hub uh, after the service. You can come by and grab one of those cards, uh, take it think, take it home, think about it, pray about it. Maybe within a week or 10 days, uh, send it back. Uh, if you don't respond in a week or 10 days, we'll probably kind of put that child back into the system of sponsorship. Uh, those children out there are the only ones that we still need sponsored of all the children in our program. So if you want to help with that, that's fantastic. If you can't, or if you're, that's just not your cup of tea, that's okay too. Uh, certainly pray for us, uh, pray for our ministry as God marches, uh, marches on in Malawi, Mozambique, and Zimbabwe. Um, I wanted to just share a couple of quick uh, thoughts with you. Uh, you know, uh, it, I see familiar faces throughout the room. And that's always a fun thing for me. And, uh, and I also, I would have to tell you this, I see more faces uh, than the last time I was here. So praise God for what he's doing uh, in the life of your church. And that's just a wonderful thing. And thank you to Pastor Brian and, and Pastor Sheldon and Pastor Dallas. And now my new best friend, my uh, partner, Jonathan, if he'll have me uh, in my left feet. I'll never lead worship here. You can count on that. So um, anyway, thank you men for... Uh, allowing me to share uh, this pulpit this morning. Uh, God has really worked in wonderful ways uh, in and through Finish Line over the years. Um, Pastors have been trained. uh, Churches have been equipped. They've been planted. uh, Children have been cared for. uh, People have found Jesus. Those who know Christ have grown in their faith. And and though God continues uh, to do this kind of unique and remarkable work, uh, there, I would have to tell you this, and you probably know this already, but there is still, there is still a, a great amount of work to do. Um, and though God continues to do a great work in this church and in this community, as you look around, uh, you probably recognize that there's still a lot of work yet to do and to accomplish. And, and with this in mind, I want to talk with us today uh, about the fact that we live in a dark and dying place. Um, Unfortunately, unfortunately, this, this world's just not going to get any better, okay, uh, spiritually speaking. It's, it's just that the Bible doesn't speak to that. It's not going to happen. We know if, we, if we've read through the entire book, we recognize that, that things are going to ultimately lead to a point in time uh, where Jesus returns. And, uh, and our place is, is our world is, is often being characterized as dark, dying, lost, without hope. I've heard preachers use that vernacular for the last 20 years, and, and, and I'm sure those who've known Christ longer than I have would say that that's been part of the vernacular uh, for, uh, for many more years than that. 
uh, people all over the world are hurting and they are in uh, despair. False religion, as you know, false religion is growing out of control. Uh, the wicked are many and the righteous are few. And though it doesn't make a lot of headlines anymore, global terror continues uh, to kind of in this world rear its, its ugly head. And, and this is to say nothing. This is to say nothing of, of the millions of starving, tuberculosis infected, the millions of, of malaria ridden and AIDS ravaged people uh, in the region of the world that I happen to work in. It's a challenging time uh, in the United States of America. And, and these, are, these are the facts. These kind of are undisputed. We just have to kind of turn on the news or click through the internet uh, to see these things. But we recognize that it can feel hopeless at times, that our, our world is indeed dark and dying. And so we look around and we say, how do we fix it, right? That's what we do. We, we see a problem and we try to fill a need and we try to fix it. And we don't always have the answers. Uh, we may not always find the cure for the disease, right? We may not always be able to feed Africa or Asia or wherever the needs might be in South America or even here uh, in Traverse City. The, tra the challenges are always, they're just always going to be in front of us. And so as we face these hardships, we have to kind of ask the question, what's our next step? I can't, I can't see the, the solution, so just help me know what can I do today to begin taking a step. And I think I found uh, something that might encourage and challenge uh, you today. I know it has me. As I've read through uh, this passage of Scripture a number of times and been blessed to preach it a number of times, it, uh, it always speaks to me when I review it and when I have the chance to share it with others. Um, but as we face these hardships, as Christian men and women, we have to kind of look and say, what can we do? What can we do? What step can I take? And it begs the question for me, where are the Christian men and women who are willing to take steps of faith? Where are the men and women who will say, I don't care if I am laughed at or mocked at. I don't care if I lose my position. I don't care if I... If I, if I take a step down on the rung of social standing, I am going to, as a follower of Jesus Christ, be counted as a man or a woman who will say, I know this place is dark, I know it's dying, I know it's without hope, but I will plant my feet firmly on the ground and I will say, I know Christ, his principles are true, they have value in this world, and if you would just know him, if you would just follow him, if you would just hear the words that God is trying to speak to you, your life could be changed. See, we may not be able to solve the macro problem, but we certainly, one believer at a time, each of us, can begin that process of saying, I'll take a step. I'll do something to make a difference. But it's hard to do easy for us to talk about, isn't it? Oh man, it's so easy for me to stand up here and preach that we should do it, isn't it? <laughs> it's really easy to stand here and say we should do it. I will make a difference. I will make a difference for the cause of Christ. Where's the men and women in this room who will say I'll do that? I'll make a difference for Jesus. I want us to look today at a story that's probably very familiar to you about a difference maker. One person whose world was dark and dying. 
one person who had an opportunity to make an impact, and he decided to do it. It's an Old Testament story that's probably very familiar to you, and it's found in Daniel chapter 6. It's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. So for some of you old-timers, don't worry. I'm not going to pull out the puppets or the flannel graph, I promise. Okay? Uh, we're just going to talk through uh, the scripture this morning. Um, I want us to look specifically at two character qualities in the life of Daniel that qualify him as a difference maker. If I were to ask you to write down a list of the difference makers in your life, who've made an impact in your life? Who are the difference makers? Some of you might write your, your mother, your father, you might write your grandparents, you might write down a coach or a teacher, a professor, a youth pastor, a pastor, somebody who made a difference. And then if I ask you to break that down one more level and say, what were the character qualities? What were the character qualities in their life that made them a difference maker? You would start and you would start to write down what it was that, that they did, how they lived their lives. What, what, what was their character like? How did they live every single day? And that's what we want to look at here at Daniel because Daniel is a difference maker in Scripture. And we need difference makers in 2019 in the United States of America. We need difference makers around the globe in 2019. And my belief is firmly this. It's not going to be a politician. It's not going to be a celebrity. It's going to be men and women who know Jesus Christ, who choose to kind of rise up and say, I'll be counted as one who will make a difference. And Daniel's one of them. Uh, two qualities that we want to look at today uh, in the life of Daniel that, that make him a difference maker. Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 1 and 2. I'm going to read these to you. It pleased Darius, and that's my pronunciation, to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So here we are. Darius is reorganizing his government. Okay, and he's putting things in order. You know, there's kind of a new, a new system in place. And we, we know that when new systems come in, come in place, there's changes. And Darius is going to get kind of the house in order. And so he's appointing uh, leaders to different positions, primarily uh, administrators and satraps. And basically, you kind of had the king, and then you had three administrators. And then underneath that, if this was a flow chart, you had the satraps, and the satraps were accountable to the administrators, and the administrators were accountable to the king, all right? And all of this is done because Darius decides, I don't want to suffer any more losses. In, in, uh, we're done. We're, we're done losing resources. So it's strictly kind of a pagan sort of a, we just need to get our house in order. There's not a God perspective to it at all. Um, and so that's where we kind of pick up verse 3. Now Daniel, did you notice in verse 2, he was one of the people in this group. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Wow. So Darius, he's looking at everyone, and he sees Daniel, and he says, that's going to be the guy that I'm going to put him, he's basically going to be in... in USA terms, 2019, he's going to be my vice president. He's going to be my number two man. I'm going to put him in charge of everything. That's pretty remarkable. Verse 4, it comes at a cost, though. At this, the administrators 
And satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So finally, verse 5, these men said, we will never find any charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So you see the scene before you. Daniel's going to be placed as number two. There's a lot of guys who are jealous of that. And just like in our workplaces today, right, when you get passed over for the promotion, it stings a little bit, right? Someone else got the job that you really wanted. So here's what the administrators of the satraps do. They start to dig. They start to look into Daniel's life. Certainly, certainly there must be something about his life and his conduct as a government official that we could investigate that would disqualify him for the position that the king is about to put him in. But verse 5, they couldn't find it. We'll never find any charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the first quality I want us to look at in the life of in Daniel's life Uh, The first quality in Daniel's life I want us to recognize that he was the man, Daniel was a man of blameless testimony. The first quality in Daniel's life that qualifies him as a difference maker is that he was a man of blameless testimony. I don't remember who it was, it was a professor that I had at Liberty University who who once said this to me, exceptional qualities lead to extraordinary opportunities. Exceptional qualities lead to extraordinary opportunities. In the workplace, let me help you know this, if you're the best at what you do, if you do it with integrity, if you do it with honesty and you are trustworthy, it will ultimately lead to extraordinary opportunities for you. I think, of, uh, I, I think of what Daniel's listed here. I mean, they say exceptional qualities. What's that equate to? It means Daniel was dependable. He was loyal. He was hardworking. He was probably humble. Uh, the verse, verse 4 actually says he's trustworthy. He's incorruptible. He's not negligent. And that simply means that he was faithful, honest, fair. He was without fault. Exceptional qualities exceptional qualities lead to extraordinary opportunities. And that's what happens for Daniel, right? Here he is just doing the thing the way he knows how to do it as a follower of God. A man of great character, a man of great uh, exceptional quality. And here now it provides for him an extraordinary opportunity. There's one, I have a son who's 21 years old, a daughter who is 17 years old. And uh, my son was, Uh, a a football player there for a while, and someone he really looked up to when he was in middle school was a college athlete by the name of Tim Tebow. And Tim Tebow was just one of those unique football players that could just kind of do whatever needed to be done to win the game. I mean, that's just the reality. He was a winner. But the thing that drew my son and draws me to a young man like that is the fact that not only was he exceptional on the athletic field, he was exceptional in his faith. And it led to absolutely, absolutely extraordinary opportunities for him. To the point that now he's still reaching people for Jesus Christ now many years after his, his football career is over. Because he's, 
not a football player. He's a Christian man of exceptional qualities. Exceptional qualities lead to extraordinary opportunities. That's Daniel's, uh, that's Daniel's uh, situation here. In verse 5, I want you to think about this. Listen to what these men discovered. They look at his conduct of government affairs and they say, he's flawless. The only possible way we could trip this man up would be if it had something to do with the law of his God. This speaks to Daniel's absolute godliness. He was thought of as a godly man. Now, as I look across the room, I see a lot of men here who are uh, parenting age. And I see a number of men here who are grandparenting age. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be said by your son or daughter or your grandson or granddaughter that dad or grandpa was godly? Daniel was a man of blameless testimony. He lived his life in a godly way. So I want to ask you a question. I want to ask myself a question today. If someone were to examine your life, now let me say it better this way, what would an examination of your life, of my life, reveal? I promise you this is as hard as I'm going to hit you today, all right? But what would an examination of your life reveal? Would, they be able to be, would it be able to be said of you that you were humble, dependable, loyal, trustworthy, not negligent, honest? Would it be able to be said of you at your workplace or in your community, in your family, even in this church, that you were a servant? Would it be able to be said of you that you were godly? Oh, man, I work to that end. I work to that end, but we realize it doesn't always come. The flesh sometimes wins, doesn't it? Daniel was a man of blameless testimony. How would people see your life if they really started to dig and look? I share all this with you to simply make this point. Our testimonies matter. Our testimonies matter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, if you're a note taker and and you like to write down some ancillary verses, this would be one worth jotting down. 1 Peter 2, verse 12 says this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Live such good lives here in this world that we live in that when people look at you, when they, when they have a desire to accuse you, what they end up witnessing is your good deeds. And ultimately, they end up glorifying your God. Your testimony matters. Our testimony matters. Uh, When I was a younger man, I didn't think much about my testimony. Uh, But the older I get, the more I think about that. Our testimony matters at the restaurant when the food comes out a little bit cold. (laughs) Our testimony matters. Our testimony matters when our son or daughter is 
falsely accused at school and you've got to go in and have that uncomfortable conversation with principal or teacher. There's a way to make the point and keep your testimony. Our testimony matters. Our testimony matters as businessmen and businesswomen who, who work and navigate through the community. Do people think of you or me as just a man or woman of dollars and cents or do they think of me or you as a man or woman of integrity? who happens to manage dollars and cents in a business. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20, another verse worth jotting down. Simply this, we have been bought with a price. We have been bought with a price. Apostle Paul is speaking here, and he says, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The context there is a little bit specific, but the principle is overarching to our entire lives. And that is simply this. Someone hung on a cross for you and for me. They shed their blood. His name was Jesus. Took on our sin so that we might have a home in heaven. We have been purchased with a price. Therefore, honor God with our attitudes and our actions. This is what Daniel is doing. See, we call ourselves Christians. Daniel was a follower of God. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own. We should reflect Christ in everything that we do. He just cannot be. He just, and man, when I was a young person, when I was a teenager moving through life, man, Jesus was just my escape from hell. That's all he was. He was like my golden ticket. Just, I was ready to cash it in at any time when I was driving too fast and doing too many dumb things I shouldn't have done. And if on that day my life had ended, fire insurance. Jesus has to be more than that. He has to be more than that. He has to be our Lord. His precepts have to permeate our lives. He must be Lord. Now, here's the thing. I recognize this. None of us are perfect. We're not going to be. We're not going to be perfect. But every morning, can't we, can't we wake up and say, I just, I just want to pursue today as a man or a woman who wants to honor God with all my attitude and all my action, all the activity that I go about today, I want it to be blameless in your sight. See, I believe this firmly, that too many of us wake up in the morning and the thought never even occurs to us. But what if we set a goal to hit that 100% mark and we know what's going to happen, right? We're going to mess up. We're going to fail. But at the end of the day, maybe we're a little bit closer to blameless than we would have been had we never even thought about it. Daniel was a man of blameless testimony. I'm going to move very quickly and fill in the rest, the rest of the story. So Daniel gets the job if you kind of peruse through those verses. And those who didn't get the job, man, they are jealous. And they look hard at Daniel's life. They try to find some way to disqualify him for the job, but they don't find anything. So they decide to go to King Darius and propose to him that he enforce a law 
that requires everyone to pray only, only to the king. And if you, if you choose to pray to anybody else, you're going to be thrown into the den of lions. Well, imagine this, a pagan king, a, a, a king who doesn't follow God, he hears this from some of his key leaders. It's a nice stroke of his ego, isn't it? So he decides, that sounds fabulous. Of course, I want everyone to be loyal to me, and one way to garner that loyal, loyalty is to make them pray only to me. So the king, forgetting about Daniel, or certainly maybe not even caring about Daniel in that moment, agreed with his men and created a law that said, anyone who prays to any god but me will be thrown into the lion's den. Now look down at verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the law had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Underline that, just as he had done before. Did you catch the sequence of events? I don't know how it happened. Daniel might have been in his chariot. Remember, he's vice president, moving from one place to another. Or maybe he was even in the room when the law was signed. But somehow he learned that the law had been published. And you know what he did? He went home, he threw open the windows, and just as he had done before, said, does not matter to me, I am going to pray. Daniel was a man of bold conviction. Daniel was a man of bold conviction. Wow, do we need people like that today? Someone who will stand in a room and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is amazing. He knew the law and consequences, still he prayed. See, I heard an old pastor preach this message once, and he simply said this, Daniel would rather spend a night with the lions than miss his appointment with God. Daniel would rather spend a night with the lions than miss his appointment with God. See, having bold convictions, having bold convictions is something we can all shout about in a group setting, right? We can all say, absolutely, let's do it. Let's charge the gates of hell with a bucket of water. But then when you're in that moment by yourself alone and you have to choose, it gets tough. See, having bold convictions means there are going to be some things in this life that we are going to have to stand up for. We're going to have to stand up as followers of Christ for some things. Oh, this might be a short list of those. Honesty, purity in our speech, purity in our relationships, sexual purity, obedience to authority. We're going to have to stand for the truth of God's word because there are so many false teachers out there claiming the name of Jesus. We're going to have to stand up for the truth of God's word. We're going to have to stand up for, for unborn children. We're going to have to do that. We're going to have to stand up for the gospel. We're going to have to be men and women who say, it does not matter to me if it, if, if it means I lose my life or if I cannot eat out this much as, month, as, as much as I want this month. I'm going to go and, and participate in the gospel or I am going to go and give toward the gospel. We're going to have to stand up for some things. And having bold convictions means that, we are going to, that there are going to be some things in this life that we are going to have to stand against. We're going to have to stand for some things and stand against others. We're going to have to stand against stealing, lying, cheating, 
Curse words, dirty talk, gossip, sexual immorality, a rebellious spirit, coveting, false religion, abortion, you name it. The list, is, the list is longer for what we have to stand up against. You know what these things are. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. That's what Daniel was in that moment when he opened his windows and prayed. And now the rest of the story, the men find Daniel praying. They take him to the king. The king reluctantly has Daniel thrown into the den of lions. And as he has Daniel thrown in to the lion's den, the king says this phrase to Daniel, May the God whom you serve continually rescue you. May the God whom you serve continually rescue you. Isn't that an amazing thing to have been said? The king knew that there was a God, and he was counting on that God to rescue Daniel. The king seals the lion's den closed, and the king spends the night feeling guilt and shame for what he's done without eating or sleeping. And the next morning, verse 19, he makes his way to the lion's den. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to Daniel, he said in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you? from the lions. And then in dramatic fashion, I like to see this as it's like through the lens of a movie. There must have been a pause, right? And the hearts the, the heart of the king must have been pounding, just waiting to hear. Daniel answered in verse 21, "May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I have been found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before." You, your majesty. Many theologians believe it was Jesus himself who came and closed the mouths of the lions. Daniel's taken out of the lions. Then the king is so frustrated, he has the men who accused Daniel and their families thrown into the den of lions. And the Bible's testimony is simply this, that they were devoured immediately. These were not toothless tigers. This was not some coincidence that Daniel wasn't, wasn't taken apart by these lions. It was a miracle of God. The last thing I want you to see is simply this. The heart of the king has changed. Verse 25 and 26. Then King Darius wrote to all nations and all peoples of every language and every earth, uh, and all of the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And his God, he, as God, he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. Now, who said one person? Fully committed, totally sold out, absolutely blameless, absolutely bold, could not make a difference in this world. Daniel did. He changed the heart of a king. Do you think Daniel wanted to be thrown in the den of lions? Do you think he woke up that morning and said, I want to give my life for this? Absolutely not. He just chose to, choose, he just chose to live blameless, and he chose to live bold. And so my challenge for you is simply this. Examine your life. Take a good look at it. Take a look at your life. Where do you need to work on the blameless side of the equation? I'll tell you this, there's two or three things I have to work hard on, right? I have to get better in my walk with God as it relates to two or three things 
in order for me to even approach Daniel's status. But tomorrow morning, just like this morning, I will wake up and say, God, help me. I want to live blameless. I know my testimony matters to others. I know an exceptional character will result in exceptional opportunities. So God, help me. Help me be a follower of you that just doesn't see you as an escape from hell, but as, as a relationship that, that, that desires my obedience to you, that desires my love for you, that recognizes what your son did for me. So because of those things, help me to strive to be blameless. And when I fail, help me to keep short accounts with you and come back and seek your forgiveness and restoration in that relationship. And then, God, when the chips are down, when it's tough, and I have to choose to run or I have to choose to plant my feet firmly on the ground, help me to be a man that will do that. Help me to stand for those things that you want me to stand for and help me stand against those things that are of this world and of the devil. Will you be a man or a woman like Daniel. He was a difference maker. If you want to be a difference maker, if you want to be a person who makes a difference in this world, be someone of blameless testimony and bold conviction. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for uh, your son, Jesus. The fact that he made our relationship with you possible. He made forgiveness possible. The fact that he hung on the tree and died on the cross, shed his blood, Lord, makes it possible that I would know you. That I would have the choice to choose to be blameless. That I would have the choice to choose to be bold. So God, we thank you for Jesus. And so God, today I pray for the men and women here at East Bay Calvary. Lord, I pray that they would take hold of this challenge. And God, they will begin the process of recognizing those things in their lives that, that cause them to be less than blameless. And God, that they would begin to seek you in those areas. Work on those things. Draw close to you. God, help them to wake up tomorrow morning and pursue a blameless testimony. God, and for those men and women who just, it's a challenge for them to be bold. Lord, give them boldness today. Help them to know that it's because of your son, Jesus that they can stand firmly and know ultimately that their fate is in your hands. God, thank you for your love and support. Thank you, God, for uh, helping us through these challenging times, these dark and difficult days. Help us to be a Daniel. Thank you for his testimony. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.